Good morning. Glad to see you all survived monsoon season and that hurricane and that earthquake here on the 10th anniversary of 9-11. It sounds like we need to have some church. Uh, Please turn with me, if you would, to Deuteronomy chapter 16. Actually, Deuteronomy chapter 17, starting in verse 14. When you come to the land which the Lord your God is giving you, and you possess it, and you dwell in it, and you're going to say, I will set a king over me like all the nations that are around me. You shall surely set a king over you, whom the Lord your God chooses, one from among your brethren, And you shall set as king over you. You may not set a foreigner over you who is not your brother. But he shall not multiply horses for himself. Cause the people to return to Egypt to multiply horses. For the Lord has said to you, the the Lord has said to you, you shall not return that way again. Neither shall he multiply wives for himself, lest his heart turn away, nor he shall greatly multiply silver and gold for himself. And it shall be when he sits on the throne of his kingdom that he shall write for himself a copy of the law in this book from the one before the priests, the Levites, and it shall be with him. And he shall read it all the days of his life that he may learn to fear the Lord his God. And be careful to observe all the words of this law and these statutes. That his heart may not be lifted above his brethren. That he may not turn aside from the commandment to the right hand or to the left. That he may prolong his days in his kingdom. He and his children in the midst of Israel. The question I want to ask today is, are we defined? Where are we getting our definition of self? Are we defined by our past or by our future? Where is our identity coming from? We're continuing today in our year-long trek through Torah with a text that has really been working on me these past couple of weeks. There have been times when when you're preparing a sermon that it's just intense kind of academic research. As someone who hasn't yet been to seminary, I find myself, I'm profoundly intimidated by the prospect of um, taking a book that is thousands of years old and saying something about it that is both respectful to the context in which it was written and relevant to the divine narrative that stretches from creation to new creation. See, more than anything for me, the writing of this sermon, it, it, it centered on that line you shall not return that way again. And I think for me, it's a part of the narrative that speaks to our life between the trees. Last week in our, uh, our Edge group, for those of you that don't know, the Edge group is our brand new, spanking new ministry in and through 4th, 5th, and 6th graders here at New Hope. Um, we, we talked about living between the trees. See, we talked about um, the good created order that God had placed mankind in 
that's marked in the opening chapters of Genesis by the trees in the Garden of Eden. And the trees described at the end of the book of Revelation as being on either side of a crystal clear river of life that proceeds from the very throne of God. That was Edge, day one. Smart kids you guys got. Um, It wasn't really all that dramatic. It's really simple, actually. God created a good and beautiful world that was corrupted by human sin. God then partners with humans to begin a process of putting it all back together again. And rather than stay distant and impersonal with his corrupted creation, God instead works through them at the mysterious work of building for his kingdom. The book of Deuteronomy is the fifth book of Torah. It records and in many places repeats uh, the laws and the traditions of the people of Israel, God's chosen people, who have been blessed by God so that through them all of the families on earth shall be blessed. I was rereading a book this week that spoke to that important line of Abraham's covenant, the covenant with Abraham. It said that when God's people assume that they are chosen only to be blessed and forget that they are blessed to be a blessing, they distort their identity and they drift from God's calling for them. When they assume that they are blessed exclusively rather than instrumentally, when they see themselves as blessed to the exclusion of others rather than to the benefit of others, they become part of the problem rather than the solution. That brings us to the text for this morning. The Parsha actually begins with the words in Deuteronomy 6 about how justice should be administered amongst God's people. And justice, as Chris said, it's a fascinating topic to explore in Scripture. Check, about, check out how it begins in chapter 16 and verse 18. You shall appoint judges and officers in all your gates, which the Lord your God gives you according to your tribes, and they shall judge the people with just judgment. You shall not pervert justice. You shall not show partiality, nor take a bribe, for a bribe blinds the eyes of the wise and twists the words of the righteous. You shall follow what is altogether just, that you may live and inherit the land which the Lord your God is giving you. The text goes on to describe how absolutely crucial doing the right thing within a community was for God's people, because the truth is that Israel wasn't like every other nation. Or at least they weren't supposed to be. They were to pursue justice and not pervert it with bribes and partiality because that wouldn't be the actions of a people that are blessed to be a blessing. The problem was, and is, that several times in the text we see something to the effect of, so you shall put evil from Israel. Put away evil from Israel. Easier said than done, right? Many of the laws were practical and spoke to how the people should administer justice in situations such as theft. Others were more a bit complicated and required the involvement of priests. And we don't want to diminish the practical level to this text. Goats, for instance. Jason likes to talk about goats. Uh, Goats, for instance. Who doesn't love a good goat? It it makes useful sense that laws would be put into place to help the people with a protocol on how to handle a situation like, what do I do if somebody steals my goat? In the same way, um, the emotionally charged issues of murder would be greatly served by having laws in place on how to deal with that. The problem is, and this is really what struck me as I was studying this, the problem was that 
these laws mount up. And you begin to wonder that if all of the evil was put away from Israel, wouldn't that mean me too? Have you seen M. Night Shyamalan's movie, The Village? The movie didn't get spectacular reviews, but it is a favorite for my wife and I. Um, it centers on what appears to be a small rural village in like 18th or 19th century America. I'm not giving it away. <laughs> Initially, you're not given a whole lot of detail, details about when or where the village is exactly, except that isolation seems to be a recurring theme. The movie was billed as a thriller in the vein of, uh, you know, Signs and the Sixth Sense, uh, Shyamalan's other movies. And apparently the village is surrounded by woods that are inhabited by those we don't speak of, monstrous creatures who terrorize the village if the settlers wander too far into the woods. I'm sure most of you have seen it, but for those of you who haven't, I won't spoil the ending, except to say this, the elders of the village attempted to settle in an area that isolates them from the darkness of their past. They were, there were things that happened to them that were beyond their control, or at least they had claimed that they were beyond their control. And they felt that if they could just remove themselves from urban society, remove themselves from darkness, remove themselves from sin, and live alone in an isolated village, then darkness couldn't penetrate their community again. And even if you haven't seen the movie, you live life. And you know that doesn't work. No amount of fear, no amount of rules can keep darkness from the human soul. And as the Apostle Paul said, the wages of sin is death. See, that's what was on my mind when I first read this passage on the principles for governing kings. The text speaks of God telling the people that when they possess the promised land and dwell in it, their king must be one that God chooses, one that is among their brethren. The idea is that they aren't supposed to be like other nations that are around them. They're supposed to be God's people. I think there is the question of identity at the heart of what's going on here. Not only has God laid upon them a call to be uh, blessed, to be a blessing, he has also rescued them from slavery and set them on a path with specific instructions on how to navigate the darkness. And the exodus from Egypt, I think as we've seen by the... Um, the rabbis that have come and shared with us here. It's something that's deeply ingrained in the people of Israel. God is faithful to whom he calls, and the darkness of slavery that defined them in Egypt shall not be revisited, for the Lord has said to you, you shall not return that way again. Rather, a king, a leader in the midst of this community must keep a copy of the law, copy of that in a book and read it all the days of his life, that he may learn to fear the Lord his God and be careful to observe all the words of this law and these statutes, that he may prolong his days in his kingdom, he and his children in the midst of Israel. God says, Egypt will no longer be your identity. Instead, your identity will be in the faithfulness of my covenant with my people. You want to find the light? It's going to be in following my ways. When you trust and obey in the plans that I've laid out for you, it's going to be for your own good. When you stray into selfish ambitions so that you can be like other nations, then you have turned back 
toward the darkness. And your identity is not with Egypt. Your identity is with me. In chapter 18, the text goes on to tell the people the wicked, to avoid wicked customs like uh, witchcraft. It makes a note that you shall be blameless before the Lord. For these nations that you will dispossess, listen to soothsayers and diviners. But as for you, the Lord your God has not appointed such for you. Your future will have a different definition that will not assume that the dead have special knowledge, but rather find identity in a living God. When I was uh, 12 years old, well, that's when I began going to church regularly. My parents had separated a few years prior, and um, church had really just not played a big role uh, in my life up to that point. Um, from what I remember, I have very little, uh, I had very little knowledge of God, very little knowledge of the church, and honestly, very little curiosity of who he was and what he would have for my life. Still, I think that I was a happy kid and welcomed the idea of going to Grace Fellowship Church when a friend of the family invited us. Now, when I was a kid, uh, one of my heroes was David Letterman. I remember begging my mom to let me stay up and, like, just in time to watch the top ten list, which, incidentally, often contained jokes that soared over my head. Um, there's, no pos- there's no off position on the genius switch. So when <laughs> we started going to this church that had a dimly lit stage with a band and a guy that told funny stories... The whole thing really appealed to me. They even had their own top ten list. You'll get that later. To be honest, <laughs> to be honest, I have very little recollection of it. Um, if you've known me for any length of time, you'll know that I just have a horrible memory. Um, I can remember general feelings. Like my first few years of exposure to the Christian church was very positive. And I firmly believe that those years were formative in my character then and now, but I have very little memory of specifics. I have very little memory of acceptance or dedication to a life as a member of God's family. All that I can remember was that I think I entered high school a Christian. It doesn't sound like a very life-changing description, does it? Wouldn't you think that if I had made a life-altering decision to follow the living God, that I would at least remember the year in which it happened? What am I supposed to do with that? For some, a profession of faith took on the form of a specific moment, a youth ministry or a meeting or a retreat, that they had decided then and there that they were going to let God in and change their life. I had no such experience. For me, it was a process that I believe that was no less significant. It was a process of piecing together the the truths from church and from school and from music and from relationships, friends and family in a way that showed me this incredible faithfulness of God that had led me out of the darkness. And when I put it all together, I do remember knowing that the only thing that I could call it was Jesus. Not pushing me out of my past, but rather welcoming me me into his future as his son. See, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. 
The next part of Deuteronomy at the end of chapter 18 discusses where Israel's future is to come from. It speaks of a prophet, one who will be like Moses, that will rise from the brethren of Israel and have the holy words of God in his mouth. Israel had many prophets. Moses being the preeminent prophet of the text for today, God would communicate through a series of mediators, but perhaps none would hold that intimacy of God's relationship with Moses. That is, until one greater than Moses and the prophets rose from the blood of Israel and redefined their future, not as the darkness of Egyptian slavery, but rather as citizens of God's kingdom. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. You shall not return that way again. Israel's future will come as a new song from one who has not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. Friends, we gather here today to remind each other that those who have been washed in the blood of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ find the hope of eternal life in his resurrection. In what ways, in what ways have you allowed the lies of darkness to define your life, the lies of your past and the darkness of your past to define who you are in terms of your shortcomings, your addictions, your relational strife, your prejudices and your past mistakes? In what ways have the Egypts of your own history told you that you were no more than a slave rather than a child of God? What would it look like for you to dedicate or to rededicate your life to God and follow Jesus? What would it mean for you to see yourself not being pushed from your past, but rather pulled into the new creation? What would it mean for your life to be pointed in the direction of one that has his or her eye on the ultimate hope offered by God to live not as one of the other nations, but rather as citizens of God's kingdom? What would that new identity mean for you as you enter your school or workplace tomorrow, as you interact with your family, as you involve yourself in the needs of our church? The darkness of our world cannot be denied. The sinfulness and corruption of mankind, that's a reality that none of us should shrink from. But God chooses a people blessed to be a blessing, a people that are of the very kingdom of God that Jesus says is also a reality. Here and now, and that also can't be denied. In what ways is God saying to you, you shall not go back that way again. Instead, I want you to follow me. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we can only imagine the the darkness that has come through those doors today. We can only imagine the pain that our friends are feeling. As we remember what happened 10 years ago today, as we consider the darkness that is a reality, I would pray that 
we would keep our eyes on your kingdom. That you would look for it. That you would help us look for it. That we would search in sometimes the most unlikely places and at times that seem the most dark. We see your face. I pray for anyone here that hasn't made the decision to follow Christ, to make him our master, to consider the option of today being a fresh start, of today being a day that I can say, today I'm going to begin to follow Jesus, and I'm not going to go back that way again. In the most holy name of Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen.